This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. It's time for surprise afternoon rainstorms, farmers markets, and to see if your garden survived our wild weather mood swings. In other words, it's spring. We put out a call for your most pressing gardening questions, and today I'm giving them to our gardening expert, Anne Maria Wad. Today is Wednesday, April 26th. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Wad, welcome back to CityCast Denver. I'm so happy to be here. So you're our weed expert. Yes. And now you're our gardening expert. Um, so I do have to start by asking, have you ever grown your own weed? Well, uh, yes, on purpose and also yes, on accident. And um, neither <laughs> attempt was successful. And it's a lot trickier than people think. Oh, yeah. People make it look really easy. And then um, uh, I... <laughs> I I grew it successfully one time and then I brought it inside my house to try to dry it um, oh, and I no. didn't realize it was like infested with aphids so I'll never do it again yeah <laughs> I'll leave it to the experts it's a highly controlled environment if mm-hmm. you do it indoors and I say that as a person that lived in a grow that was my, <laughs> so you know my bro roommates I called it the bro grow the bro grow but I had I had nothing to do with it but I know it was like very temperature light yeah. heat. Uh, air, all these things are very controlled. So speaking of that, how's your garden shaping up this year? It's good. I have very little shade. (laughs) We're working on that with my one tree. Um, It's good. Yeah, no, I've I've gotten outside and started fertilizing for the season and I have some little green things coming up. I already have some asparagus spears poking through and uh, my strawberry plants are coming back to life. So oh my God, prime time. I got to say that's brave, though, because if I know anything about our neighborhood, the squirrels are ruthless. We have uh, invested a lot in these last few years in our defensive infrastructure. <laughs> defensive inf- defensive against squirrels. Oh, my God. Well, it's, yeah, it was a whole journey. It was like first I was trying to deter them and then I've had a, like an uneasy pact with them where honestly it does help sometimes if you put out food and water, they will leave your stuff alone. Um, like it's weird how often they'll just like bite into a tomato once just because they're thirsty. If you have like one bite on a bunch of different tomatoes, they're it's looking for water. <laughs> yeah. First tip right there. Yeah. Yeah. I've had to I've, I've gotten really into like squirrel behavior. Um, and then uh, I have a cat visitor in my backyard. So now everything's caged up. OK. Yeah. So that's that's smart. OK. If you're interested in the squirrel conversation, we'll be having that on another episode <laughs> because we know this is a subject people are very interested in. Yes. Um, so we've got some questions from listeners and readers. Uh, I'd like to start from uh, with one from Westside Tim. Westside Tim says, I'd love to know what is the best way to grow tomatoes? 
perfect segue. Um, I have a small plot in a community garden. I see all kinds of contraptions to get the vines off the ground, fences, rebar, and stakes. But what recommendations um, do you have that would where you could tie the vine and like how do you grow how do you grow a tomato in a community garden where you probably don't have much space? Yeah, so you do need some kind of structure because um, unless they go up, uh, they will grow down and the tomatoes will end up on the soil. They'll go bad and you won't get any tomatoes. So they do need something to get attached to. People get real creative. The easiest solution is you could just go buy these tomato cages from the hardware store. They're just like circular cages that you put around the plants when they're still really small. Um, And those will provide support. They will, like if the plant gets very top heavy, they will flop over. I've seen people do them up of sort sort of like arbor trellises, which is really cool because tomatoes will just keep growing up. If you give them space and support, they will just keep going upwards. If you stake them, you totally can. I would totally recommend getting really thick, strong stakes, though, because, again, they can get heavy. Um, and then certain tomatoes actually do really well in hanging baskets. And if you have the ability to do, um, like, a little shepherd's pole in your uh, plot and put up a few hanging baskets, um, that saves a lot of ground space. You might be able to fit stuff in underneath it. Oh, yeah. I love that. The compactness of, like, being able to go up while also still being able to plant below yeah it's like city living you got to build up it's perfect okay yeah. uh next question hey city cast my name is jay in the santa fe art district i have several different plants in my apartment and i'm wondering the best way to determine and maintain their proper ph balances i'm going to preface this by saying i'm not the house plant expert okay um <laughs> i do i have killed a lot more of those um but mm, a lot of garden centers and hardware stores will just sell like really cheap soil testing kits or little like ph meters um for 20 bucks or under so they're not hard to get um and then once you have some idea like research each individual plant and sort of like figure out what its needs are it should be pretty easy to maintain that like especially most plants indoors you could just use like a general all-purpose potting soil and not really worry about ph that much unless you have like really unique precious careful rare plants then i think that that matters a little bit more but okay well we have a question from our own producer erin o'toole Uh, she wants to start a small pollinator garden do you have any advice? Yeah. So the uh, the big thing is how much light are you getting where you're planning on starting this garden? If you have a lot of light, then this is really easy. Colorado is home to a lot of really beautiful native wildflowers. And I would highly recommend if you go to a lot of garden centers here, there are a few local brands that do really great blends of pollinator-friendly wildflower mixes. There's also, you can get really into kind of like the individual pollinator species if you want. Like milkweed is always a really great one to plant for butterflies. It just depends exactly on where you live. Yeah, like I would look into sort of what's native to where you live in the state. But yeah, there's a lot of really great little wildflower seed blends you can get. So this reminds me of there's this program through Denver Water called Garden in a Box. And if you have a yard, you can buy these different sets of plants that they've put they've put together, like expert gardeners have put together these different types of plants that do well, particularly. And maybe your yard has too much, like a Mm -hmm. ton of sun or no sun. But there is one that's like a pollinator's uh, garden. So they've picked out those specific plants for you. But I think the thought about the native plants is really that's like an easy start, right? You can start repopulating with what 
already grows great here. Yeah, and I, I would actually say that's a very important piece of it, too, because what happens a lot is people will buy pollinator mixes from national brands, um, and they will contain species that might be invasive to where you live. Oh, which is something we want to be really careful with. If you want to help local pollinators, you want to give them local plants. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade. Hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Um, <laughs> I have a question for you about soil personally. Uh, not because I work on my own yard, but because <laughs> I watch my poor husband, Greg, just toil in our thousand square feet of dirt. Oh, God. Which we've had for five years. It is literally dirt. Um, but it's the, the soil seems really dry. And I feel like he's doing everything he can. And it can be really hard. What is going on with our soil? And what do we do about it if we have a yard and we want to grow things in the ground, not in a box? Yeah, it's challenging. It's so Colorado naturally has a very heavy clay soil. Like if you are digging in your yard, you're going to find this out the hard way. Like you are going to literally come across these clumps that feel like Play-Doh. And it's difficult because you can amend your soil, but amending your soil once is actually not going to change the nature of it over time. And if you are a homeowner, the, the key really is like adding stuff every year. And gradually over time, the nature of the soil will get like softer and easier to work with. But it's really hard to change overnight. And it makes sense why people go more towards garden beds. Totally. Pots here. Um, a lot of things do really well in containers here because it's so dry. You could put up raised beds um, and then put like a really good layer of mulch underneath them. And so you're growing what you want safely above ground. And then below ground over time, you're giving it that organic material to sort of break down and like change the structure of the soil. So I know that's not like what everybody wants to hear. No, but it's 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 important to think about it. I think this is true with gardening in general. Often it's a long game. Oh, yeah. So you've got to really think like it's not going to look exactly how I want next year. Five years, it'll look better. Ten years, it might look yeah. amazing. I keep saying that about my one tree. I'm like, the people who live here next I know, someday. I know. They're going to love this tree. <laughs> it's going to be great. We we When we put in a tree last summer, we got a more mature tree. I think it was five years old because I was just like, I can't wait until I'm 85 for this tree <laughs> to be truly a shading tree. Yeah. Okay. So we've got a question from uh, listener Zoe. Hey, CityCast Denver. This is Zoe. I live in Cap Hill. 
I have a gardening question. Um, obviously, the past few summers, it's been um, blazing hot, especially in Cat Hill. We have a lot of concrete around our garden beds. I was wondering, what are some easy methods to, you know, ensure that a garden is well irrigated without tomato plants getting crispy or fried um, and just ensuring, you know, that I'm efficiently and effectively using water um, in a smart way to help out our plants. Would love to hear more about that. And, um, yeah. Let's let's. I'm ready for spring. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Okay. All right. So Zoe's talking about something I think a lot of us are dealing yes. with, which is it is hot AF here. Sometimes yeah. it feels like you're on the surface of the sun. She's in Cap Hill, which, as she said, it's a heat. I mean, it is like oh, yeah. concrete. That's my old neighborhood. I, I sympathize a lot. <laughs> it's hard, and like, so how do we make our plants not crispy? And then also, how do we make sure that we're using our water the best way we can? I love this question because it is kind of like the biggest learning curve when you start gardening here. So the first thing to do is be really strategic about when you are watering your plants. And if you are a homeowner, you'll get these cute little notices from Denver Water that tell you to do this. But really try to water in the morning early or late in the evening when the temperature is significantly lower. The hotter it is outside, the quicker that water is going to evaporate and your plants won't get to drink it. And then it's like... It's really hard to get around irrigation here. I got to say, I've been a curmudgeon about it because obviously having somebody come and like install an irrigation system is stupid expensive, but it's really difficult. The evaporation is a problem. So I would seriously consider whether, you know, even if you have a small space, you could go to the hardware store and just get like maybe two soaker hoses and connect them to like your regular garden hose and water that way because the closer you keep that water to the soil, the more of it your plants are going to be able to take advantage of. Um, another thing I would actually encourage people to check out is uh, these things called Oyas. So they are like uh, bottle-shaped terracotta vessels that you bury them. You've heard of this. Yeah, I've seen them. Yeah. You bury them partially under the soil, and then you sort of water the Oya instead of watering the soil. And what happens is it will slow release the water to your plants, and you'll lose very little of it to evaporation. So those are just some things to consider. There's also like uh, little tools you can get that just sort of tell you when the soil is dry and let you know when you need to water. They're called watering spikes. You can get them in a lot of garden centers. I think if your plants happen to be in a place where there's a ton of direct harsh sunlight, investing in a little bit of shade cloth and just a few poles um, to give them some protection from that will help. Okay. Uh, but back to this question, Zoe brought up this interesting point, which is our water situation. We're in this 20-year mega drought. How do you think about water use when it comes to gardening? I mean, I'm thinking about it all the time. So a lot of the feedback I just gave about water conservation, that that's stuff I'm doing all throughout my garden. Um, I would say, too, the other thing I didn't mention is mulching is huge in Colorado. And that's another way to sort of keep moisture from escaping the soil. I always love reminding people that it is now legal to have a water barrel in Colorado. A rain barrel, yes. Yeah, it used to be illegal when I first moved here, which is super funny. Um, you can, I know it's a little difficult for renters, but I totally encourage, like, if you have a landlord, Lord, that's a real human person that you've met, you know, talking to them about the possibility of having rain uh, catching systems. So this is just a collector for yeah. rain that you could use yeah. to water your garden. And honestly, like with a lot of the slushy snow we've been getting, I've been getting a bunch of free water that way. And I think, yeah, just being mindful about when you're watering really matters uh, because water conservation means that you're really 
you're trying to make the most of every drop and you're not letting it go to waste. And the biggest waste here is evaporation when you're gardening. Okay, I've got a couple quick questions that came through as text messages. Is clover a viable ground cover here? And what kind of clover is best for minimal water use? So I would actually say this is not a great ground cover. There's a lot of advantages to growing clover for different reasons, but I don't know that ground cover is a great reason because it's not drought tolerant. And so here in Colorado, if you're looking for ground cover plants, you want to focus on ones that are drought tolerant. And ideally, you want to focus on ones that are going to be able to come back year after year. And clover is a perennial, but it can get you know, zapped by the heat. Um, And it is still going to require a decent amount of water. If you want drought tolerant, you know, low water use plants that are going to serve this ground cover purpose, there's a really great guide on the CSU Extension website. And I can give that link to you guys to share. Yeah, we'll put the link in the show notes. Um, But it's just generally like certain types of yarrows. Yarrow? 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 I said yarrow, Yarrow? but I don't know if that's correct. Leave that in. Um, (laughs) And sages, uh, those do really well here. um, And they'll stick around for years to come and you won't have to keep replacing them. Okay. Uh, Next text message. Is there a place in Denver to get free wood chips? Yes, there is. There is. I love this question. Um, The city actually does an annual mulch giveaway. This is all of of your chopped up Christmas trees, baby. (laughs) It is Dig Your Own. There's four different locations where you could pick up. And I believe it's actually like in a few weeks. There's a time frame during the year when this is available. Okay. Important to note. One of those. Put it on your calendar. It's actually coming up Saturday, May 6th. Oh, great. Okay. So we've got a little time. Um, where are the best places to get compost in bulk, like for filling a truckload? So besides A1 Organics, which is the biggest source here. So this is the uh, manufacturer that actually takes all of the Denver municipal compost and turns it into beautiful black gold. Um, they can drop a big pile off in your driveway uh, where you could pick up from them. There are also a couple of other places where you could pick up large quantities, mostly in Aurora. So the Wampost Co-op in Aurora works with another composter called GFL, um, and they can do big, large quantities of compost delivery. And if you want to do pickup, uh, Nick's Garden Center in Aurora actually has a few of the bigger brand names that you could pick up in bulk. Nick's Garden Center? I'm a big fan of Nick's Garden Center. I have heard wonderful things about Nick's Garden Center in Aurora. So cool. They have a little, like, snack bar. I don't know if it's ever open, (laughs) but that's awesome. It's like a little hot dog stand. It's so cute. Well, Anne-Marie, this was so helpful. Thank you for sharing your gardening expertise with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. I love it. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. Historic preservation. The Denver City Council voted unanimously Monday night to designate the Dutch colonial revival-style mansion at 1741 Gaylord Street a historic landmark. According to Axios Denver, this marks only the second time in city history the council has designated a landmark over the owner's wishes. In this case, the owner is developer Mike Matheson, and he had planned to build an apartment building on the City Park West lot. It is unclear what will become of the mansion now. And finally... We're still a few weeks out from ballots going out for the runoff election, but I can already call a winner in the race to represent District 7 on city council. Candidate Nick Campion announced earlier this week that he was dropping out of the race because of, quote, unexpected but wonderful news. He will soon become a father, and he and his wife want to move out of the city to raise their child. Campion's name will still appear on the ballot, but that leaves Flor Alvidrez as the sole remaining candidate and the presumptive council rep for District 7. 
That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a squirrel about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later. Have you seen that TikTok of those guys that roll into the Home Depot on a tr- like uh, pushing one of those big Home Depot carts, but they have like a they have a portable like uh, amplifier and they're playing the Home Depot theme song from the commercial and just driving around the store. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. <sighs> okay. <laughs>